I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. She's not going to know what's here when she gets back. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Has really, there's not not that much has been happening. I Quiet. mean, what are we gonna what are we gonna talk about today? I'm Emma Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Nicole Hayes, and I'm pumped. <laughs> oh, Alicia, sometimes. And of course, Felicity Race is doing her recovery in a Balinese lap pool. I think <gasps> when she comes back. I don't know who's going to tell her what she just missed out on. Not well, me. I reckon we're going to make her do all the work for two weeks <laughs> mm. just to catch up. That'll be interesting. Okay, people, you've been on this journey with us and we've been so excited to um, keep updating you and probably too much. You're probably sick of us talking about Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> but we today she is our very special uh, guest on the podcast, which I can't quite believe I'm saying. But before we dig into all of the events of Friday night and all the things that have come after that, let's actually talk about some football. Are you guys prepared to talk about football? <sighs> I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Can you believe we're three rounds in? God, it's moved quick, hasn't it? I know, it? it has. And it's kind of exciting. Like, Port is the only team who's undefeated. And then there are nine teams that have won two, lost one, and only two teams who are yet to get a win, Brisbane and Carlton. But, you know, last week I really enjoyed listening to the pod because I wasn't here. And one of the <laughs> things that you talked about was the return of the Torp. <laughs> yes. How, I reckon the story of this round is the return of the Ruckman. Oh, yeah. my God. It's true. Nick Nat. Nick Nat. God. Oh. Yeah. How Calling much do you love yep. watching him play? It's Amazing. How much would you love to see a ruckman win the Brownlow? Wouldn't oh, that amazing? Yeah, yeah. That'd that would break all the rules. That would be actually amazing. Last night I was at the Carlton BNF and um, Brianne, Brianne Moody was one was one of the joint winners, and she's been in the ruck. And mm. I was like, this is not something that we see usually. I'd like to see anyone other than a midfielder win the mm. Brownlow. To be perfectly I'd honest, like a so defender. I think yeah, I think it's far. I know how you feel mm. about Alex Rance and how you feel he's been. Overlooked for a number of years, mm. but you know, you think about people like Buddy Franklin who often don't poll that much in the Brownlow. Yeah, <laughs> wonder Do what the umpires are doing. Where are that they? when someone's quite good, that they're marked harsher. Yeah, it's an yes. unconscious bias. I feel like Daisy Pierce that happens to mm. her all the time. Remember Michael Tuck? I mean, he polled like twelve votes in his whole career, but do you and know, he played seventeen thousand games yeah, or something like, approximately. <laughs> the yeah. thing I always yeah. hear about Michael Tuck though is because it's best and fairest. Oh, I hear that whole thing that dodgy. people say. <laughs> 
that the umpires it. see who it is that's mm. stepping on fingers in yeah. packs and stuff like that. There was that. talk of that, wasn't there? There was talk of that. So, yeah, it's not a perfect system, though, mm. is it? No. no. And they've got other things to think about. They're actually adjudicating the game as well. So, you know, they're caught up in the heat of the moment. And those players that are constantly on the ball, which is why mm. the midfielders, they're going to be in their attention because they're constantly in front of them. Well, I know. I mean, people have talked for a long time, actually, about whether the umpires are the right ones to judge mm. the Brownlow. And I actually don't think they are, mm. partly because if you've got a very good player who is also, say, yappy and argumentative and whatever. <laughs> yappy. And they're not fairest. <laughs> are you looking um, at me, Kate Seal? I am. I'm thinking about you. Um, I can't imagine that that wouldn't factor into the umpire's thinking in some way. And I know that sounds unfair to the umpires, but I remember years ago reading that somebody did their PhD on um, umpiring decisions in the AFL and they studied how umpires make decisions in the heat of the moment and how certain players... Um, were treated, very high-profile players, and they did identify patterns of bias. Mm. Um, And so I can't imagine that that doesn't factor in a little bit to the Brownlow medal, which is no criticism of the umpires, but, you know, I could see that it might be there, and so I'd like to propose that we become oh the Brownlow panel. Think, do you think we should get <laughs> the goal review system to do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, we should. Uh, that's one of the things that what's so interesting about watching football when the weather's so good and the conditions are so different is mm. so much of the ball's up in the air and you're seeing those great big kicks and, the, you know, the torpedo we talked about, but the high marking, lots of people going over the top of um you know, over the top of packs and the the run and bounce because the ground Mm -hmm. can handle Mm -hmm. it. And it does make me think about, reminds me again, that when the quality of the ground and the conditions are great, how much better the skills are. Mm -hmm. And it does kind of hark back a little bit to the women's competition and how they they don't get to play on the same quality grounds with the same extraordinary lighting. Um, Yeah, I just think it's a really interesting thing. Before we move off um, the umpires judging the BNF or yeah for the competition you know we didn't talk about this at the time but at the W Awards there was the GWS girls were a bit concerned that they thought that Jessie Delpos polled in a game that they couldn't understand Mm. they think that Mm. she got votes yeah yeah I thought it was pretty outward to, to go like, oh, we love you, Jessie Dale, but we actually think those votes should have been for Alicia Eva. And yeah, they, they thought the she made a mistake. Confused, confused the them. Yeah. yeah. And oh, sorry, the selectors, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so that's another, I mean, human error is mm. also when you don't mm. have umpires who necessarily know the players really well and maybe they, but, but, but maybe well, they see something. Those players that have all got the same hairstyle, they confuse me. <laughs> I know, and I think even Sydney GWS game, I was getting their jumpers mixed up. So let That is a very bad clash. It's a very bad clash. I couldn't, on TV, it did not and work. I what's got hap- lost a lot. And what's happening outside of your peripheral vision too. Yeah. So umpires mm. are not seeing who's holding who back and yeah. who's doing something quite well. Uh, you're just a little mm. bit out of yeah, sight. Yeah, the board, the shepherding and stuff. It was a big one for the Pies to get a win. We were at the Blues-Pies game for the <laughs> first we? quarter. Which <laughs> Did we watch any game of the game? We did. Um, the Blues came out firing and I thought yeah. this was going to be their opportunity. And I, did, I was feeling poetic when Daisy Thomas kicked the first goal and it was a good goal. And I thought, oh, hang on, this is it. Like this is mm. where Collingwood is going to... You know, that's going to be the story. But actually, Carlton, how Carlton quickly. Is going to be the story. No, I thought that Collingwood wouldn't oh, right. win because I thought Carlton came out pretty, you know, yeah, solid hard. in that first yeah. quarter. But then the game obviously changed heaps. Because well, we left. Because we mm. left, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, I have a theory on this and I just need to bring back Omen Watch very briefly mm. because, um, as we'll talk about in more detail later, we did managed somehow to escort Melissa Etheridge to the footy so that she could see a bit of the game. And she stayed for, I guess... 
four-fifths of the first quarter and or maybe a little bit less and was there when Carlton played really well. And then she left and I think by the time we got over to the arena where she was playing um, and I looked at my phone, the scores had changed quite dramatically. <laughs> so I think that Melissa Etheridge is Carlton's Lucky, Lucky charm. charm. Well, the Carlton Football Club seemed to think so. They were pinging Shelley Ware <laughs> saying, bring her back. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. My gosh, she wouldn't know who to go for now because she's got a jumper for every single <laughs> team. Um, before we move off goals, yes. Buddy Franklin. Oh, oh that was Buddy. an incredible game. Have we already seen goal of the year? Yeah. Well, yes. he, well Luke with, Parker as yes. well. Oh, the the one that was kicked from 180 metres out. <laughs> It was, yeah, I think it was 300 yeah. metres your fund. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually this, outside the stadium when he kicked it. <laughs> if you're he fined. keeps kicking goals, because he did the same last week, <laughs> if he keeps kicking goals from that far out, you could actually play with three less players. You, you don't need anyone. You could all have an extra rest. No one right. at half forward. Like no one. You just <laughs> you just play him off the square. Oh, happens. I was. You look up and yeah, there's no one there anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so true. No, I um I drank out of the Buddy Franklin. Tumbler on the weekend <laughs> oh. in um, celebration. Oh, that it. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can you but just Wingard as well? There was some just and and you know I sorry the oh, Cyril thing where that that little pickup that he did after being tackled and dropping the ball and then just picked it up with one hand like this is something you know that he's picking up his socks under the bed <laughs> like it was ridiculous. You pick up your socks that swiftly? No. <laughs> She's well, very low to the ground. I am very low. But also, um, well, you know, Jack Higgins, first gamer for Richmond. Yes. That was such a and great goal. And he kicked two fantastic goals, called them snags. Did you see him at the end <laughs> of the night? Yeah, got two snags. Oh, so very cute. Oh, the Richmond one up in the air was so fantastic. Good, huh? Who thinks that Port Adelaide's going to be there in the last day, the first day in October? Well, <laughs> no. well even the whole ladder. No. What do you think about the, the ladder at the moment? Is it telling it's us strange. anything? Because we've got Port, GWS, the Crows, Melbourne in the top four, then West Coast, Gold Coast, Sydney and Hawthorne. I don't think there's going to – I mean, I think it's several of those players are going to be there at the end. Teams. Several of those teams. teams. Players, well, players hopefully. Too, but well, you, I think so. I mean, it, it's dominated though by interstate clubs, yes. which is very interesting. You know, just the continued dominance and um, uh, particularly of clubs like Sydney that just sort of, you know, every year continue to be playing well and I think Sydney look good. I think GWS look good. I, mm. I would not pick Port for the grand final. Why is that? Stage. What, what are you thinking? I just think some of those other clubs are a lot better. I think I think two or three rounds in it's really difficult to to mm. have any sense of what's going to happen because yeah. often teams fall away or come back. And, and also when they travel, that's one of the challenges for the interstate teams and, and you have to be able to win at the G yeah. in the end like to make it through all the way and that's one of the big obstacles that face the interstaters. Yeah. Port or, I mean, a lot of teams already too have a lot of injuries, but I think Port have a couple of big injuries. And, mm. Big and so, injury for Geelong uh, with Gary. Oh, I know. that was sad to see. That was sad I mean, what are they going to do now? They don't have him in the midfield. I mean, what are they going to do? It's How the, are they going to replace him? Yeah. <laughs> well, they, with a rock. With a rock. <laughs> and what are they going to do with all those stupid nicknames that they came up with for the I Holy know. Trinity? Yeah. Thank goodness that's thank over. The Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. They need a quincunx. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm still struggling how to say that. Can I just do a little flashback to this time last year when the ladder was in alphabetical order? Yes. Oh. That was a lovely time. That was a great time. They yeah. were good days. They were good days. Yeah, yeah good times. Very satisfying about mm. that. What do you do if you're St Kilda? Oh. Mm. You're our St know. Kilda correspondent, Kilda. Alicia. Yeah. Move I mean, back to Seaford. <laughs> just to see them. It's sort of like... <laughs> no. Well, um, they, just the game going down a little bit for them. I'm 
being generous, but it, it just seemed like it just kept getting out of their hands. And when I saw them play last week, I thought there was hope and that that, that was just a bad week. But to, to stitch two in a row together like that. I was pretty did your, a bit worried. Too, did your dad it? have his lucky St Kilda undies on? No. Could that be the, the key? He needs to. Okay. So that's, call what, him. that's what we do. That's what it is. I have to say if I was um, a supporter of the AFLM teams of either St Kilda or Carlton, I would feel so grossly um, underrepresented by the, the actual competition because you did just mention that the top of the tree is just all interstate clubs. That's right. And, you know, if yeah. those franchises weren't there, that you would have to say that it's their turn. You know, that just the way that the mm, process the works, works and the cycle yeah. and the draft and, mm. and, you know, all that kind of stuff, that, that they're the teams that are going to miss out. And maybe North Melbourne again. And I just think, oh, that's just rough. It's just rough. And you hoped, you really hope that those those fans will stick on and that they'll pass it on to the their... I think the St Kilda fans have got oh, form here, though. They know, they know this yeah. territory. It's a very familiar territory for them. And the club does too. I, I don't think it's the end for them. I just think to, this year's not going to be the year. The power of the human spirit to find things that are interesting in a season where you already feel like you're not going to make finals... Mm. It's fascinating how resilient the fans can be. Harder without a Nick Rewalt, though, to focus on, which is so, you know, he always brought a lot of light and sunshine to the game. I am enjoying his commentary, though, I have he's, to say. He's, he's, he's so good. good. He really is. Yeah, he's, he's great. excellent. I think everyone needs to stay positive. We're only three rounds in, ladies. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> true. No doom yet. Yeah, but, you know, in, in terms of um, people being due, as you said, Em, um, a lot of people feel like Melbourne – you know, if the footy gods are again going to show up this year as they have for the last two years, having the Tigers and the Bulldogs win, a lot of people think that the Ds could mm. do it this year, which, I mean, is quite possible if the footy gods are feeling generous for a third year in a row. They look good on the weekend, didn't they? They've just been getting better and better yeah, I think for the good. last few years. I don't yeah. think they can beat Sydney or GWS. I really don't. Anything could happen. I don't know. GWS looked pretty shaky. I mean, I guess it's, again, it's one game, isn't it? But they, they've got some holes there and, and this is going to be the thing again. It's going to be about injury in the end, isn't it? Mm. I mean, and these teams depth, that yeah. continue to to have these great big holes in their um, in their structure and then and can't cover it, that'll be the de- decider, I think. I find this conversation so interesting, but it does shock me that anyone else would want to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> People are people have probably just been fast forwarding with that little fifteen second button you have on your phone. Totally when big, do we come, oh, come on? When are they? Big stop shout the out to the diehards who yeah. listen to Thank this you. drivel that we love, that we really we love. love. It is drivel. Okay, let's melee, ladies. There's been a lot of things happening on the field and off the field. Alicia, sometimes you've got a veritable smorgasbord of things <laughs> for us to bite into. Yes. Let's start with the biting. Um, Essendon defender Connor McKenna was uh, sent straight to the tribunal after being charged with serious misconduct for biting Western Bulldog Tory Dixon. I don't know if you saw it because what was said was that it wasn't clearly a bite or that you couldn't see the bite, sorry. There was definitely a mark. There was no blood drawn, but you could see it. I I saw him have a little nip. Um, It was a hickey. It was a hickey. So he's been Okay. That's right. He's handed a three-week ban after pleading guilty to a nip. Nip? Uh, that makes to it the sound neck. like a cattle dog. Mm. Yeah, but AFL legal counsel Jeff Gleeson said biting was one of the most serious charges a player could be labelled with. So um, it says there was no clear footage of any bite, but you just... 
You just kind of see him go for it, right? I can can understand that, though, because I think they're looking at – you see his head buried in his neck. Yeah, nuzzle. Nuzzling around like jaws, but there's no no clear vision of actual teeth on skin. So I can sort of understand that aspect of it. But But how um, do you get vision of that with one of those cameras in your mouth? That's the thing. And remember years ago they – the the tribunal moved away from that system where the player who was the victim of the – incident, whatever it might mm. be, could testify because players testified untruthfully. Right. They said, oh, no, no, you know, because of the code. That's right, the amata the as it would code. be in cycling. And yeah. so, um, yeah. I, I so mean, we need ear cam. <laughs> we need ear cam. We need teeth cam. We need, we need did, more cam. It did give rise to some of the more interesting commentary that I've heard. Um, I don't know if you were watching 360 the other night, but Robbo said a man's mouth gets wrapped around latches onto the body of another man. And I thought, that's... He's never enjoying that a bit too much. No, he was really trying to get his, wrap his head, mind around it. He <laughs> was really... It. Yeah. But I thought, that's... I've never heard biting described that way. <laughs> I, I, I've, what's been really interesting for me around the commentary is how a lot of comparisons because of the three-week suspension have been drawn between that and, um, you know, serious striking to the head and head injury, you know, concussions and, and the like. Look, biting's disgusting. It's reprehensible and it doesn't belong in the game, but it is a look. It is a it is an optics thing. It's a it's it's I feel like people are as outraged about that or more outraged about that than they are about sling tackles or serious tackles where there's high risk of head injury in a way that I'm uncomfortable with because the reality is this is that this is they're breaching a code, right? This is it's not a good look biting, but no one's going to die as a result of it. You can actually die from a head injury in one hit. We know that can happen. And I feel like um, there's this kind of this sense that the code has broken, which re- reminds me a little bit about the ball tampering thing, as opposed to real harm. They're not being weighed equally, and I, or they're being weighed in- equally, and I don't think they should be. Can I say, Nick, I, I disagree a little bit, okay. just because I think... I think, first of all, I, th- I think that it's legitimate for the tribunal to seriously punish somebody for something that is completely outside of the play, intentional, absolutely unnecessary, a kind of assault in a sense mm. that, the you know, and we've talked before on this program about how um, players consent to the rough and tumble of footy. Mm. And mm. so if you get hurt in the rough and tumble of footy, that that's, you, you know, that's part that. of it, that, that's expected. But sometimes when players engage in conduct that's really well outside the game, like getting just knocked out in back play or bitten, um, could be a criminal law matter. Mm. So there's, yeah. there's that aspect of it. So that I do think is serious. But the other aspect of it is that I think there is a very minor but theoretical chance that you could contract, contract something, something like yeah. hepatitis C or HIV or something if you've got, say, a cut mouth mm. and you bite a player, bloodborne viruses and so on are very, very serious. And I think that, that in that sense, if that's part of the AFL's rationale, which I think it should be, then I think that's worth... Can I just... Cu- just yeah. respond just quickly to that. Goal. I agree, and and that's true, and that that does change things in many ways. But I think a, a hit to the a strike to the head that causes concu- will have a very high chance of causing concussion. And in terms of long term, so I just I just feel like um, absolutely should be discouraged. And three weeks is perfectly reasonable. But I think if they're serious about the if they're going to compare these things, then they need to go harder with the head injury. Yeah, that stuff. makes sense. And what yeah. was he yeah. thinking? It's just such a thi- <laughs> not, an instinctive thing. How how is that instinctive it's, to bite someone's ear? It's a strange thing neck. because we don't see it in this game. 
And we haven't seen it for such a long time. I couldn't even remember what the last time we had seen a biting mm. incident was. So bizarre. that seems, you know, bizarre that it's back because it just seems like a white line fever thing. You know, mm. it seems like it's really out of the realms. And yeah. I hear what you're saying, Nicole, but everything else has a, I guess it has a defence that you were going for the ball or it was in the, it was in the, you know, play. It was who was in the rough and tumble of play, but teeth are not and mouths mm. are not required Plus he should be wearing a mouth guard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah was he not? He was obviously not. not. That's what they said. That's well, part of the weird. evidence, actually. Well, this is why people go crazy for the kissing too. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's in any way as harmful, but just that thing of if, you, if you're ruffling and, ruffling and tumbling and you kiss a player on the cheek, this would be on the field, Alicia. Yes, I assume <laughs> on I've the field. Definitely changed. Totally. I've definitely changed my theory on that because I yeah. used to find it humorous, yeah. and now I'm like, oh, I wouldn't like to be kissed by yeah. someone at work mm. that I yeah. didn't know yeah, that, that yeah. was weird yeah. and on the big screen at the MCG. I wouldn't like that either. Mm. Um, so the biting also, um, Pal Pepper. There's a weird story coming out of. Yeah. yeah, look, a university student has alleged that Port Adelaide midfielder Sam Powell-Pepper assaulted her at a nightclub uh, on the weekend uh, and they're, his club are investigating the matter. The woman claims she was dancing with friends at a nightclub and she was the subject of sexual assault. Um, she said, we were just dancing on the platform at this nightclub and I felt a hand, not just on my butt, as you do, but down her skirt and um, so the woman said she contacted Port Adelaide and said the club offered her support. In a statement Port Adelaide said it was aware of the allegations and they're maintaining that they take this very seriously and that says the only fact we do not know which is really disappointing and something the leadership group should be looking into is the fact that he was out after curfew at a nightclub and he broke that rule so at the moment he's only punished for the curfew part of it and not the sexual assault but they say they're taking it very seriously and uh, investigating further so you're hopeful that they're punishing the curfew part because that's the part that they, they can prove. absolutely can mm-hmm. prove, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that they are going to take this very seriously as well. This is not something that a club wants attached to them. And, you know, it sounds like, I mean, obviously under the current circumstances of what's happening in the world and you need to really get on top of mm-hmm. these stories and situations and make sure that that girl is okay. Yeah. And I really, I really rate, I rate Port, I think Port Adelaide, they have a lot of women that work around the club Mm. and a lot of people who will be investing in making sure that this situation is resolved. And treated seriously. And treated very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because I said when someone steps over the line, they come down very harshly on it. So stay tuned for more information about that. But it's so disappointing to hear. Mm. Um, And deliberate free kicks was also a topic of interest on the weekend. (laughs) Yeah, the umpires incorrectly paid three free kicks for deliberate out of bounds in round three, says AFL football operations manager Steve Hocking. And Hocking told reporters on Monday that Port Adelaide Sam Powell-Pepper, Brisbane's Mitch Robinson and Geelong's Jack Henry all had been incorrectly penalised 
after, under the insufficient intent rule on the weekend. And there's a lot of people, on, you know, on social media have been going crazy about it. It says the rule is there to keep the ball in play. That's something that we're seeing in the game. I think the rush behind has done that as well. When you see players making sure that the ball stays in play, it's exciting footy. So he wants a natural, talking about natural flow and so forth. But a lot of people are quite critical of the rule, but saying that he got, they got three decisions wrong. It's interesting to see the AFL admitting some mistakes because it seems to me sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and I often don't know why it is that um, they're prepared to come forward so quickly and we we talked about the goal review Mm. earlier, Lucy. I mean, you know, there's obviously quite a few things that they still need to get right but I think it's very good that they come out and say, look, we we got all those ones wrong and they, to me, seemed very clearly wrong too and and I think it's good that it gets knocked on the head early in the season. Mm. The other thing Steve Hocking did comment on this week was Mr P (laughs) got involved in an incident at um, junior footy and which is weird. We saw that also last year. Was it Glen Archer? Mm. Did we see that? Yeah, that's Um, right. People getting involved with their kids um, sporting, talking to umpires and where do you sit on that? Like, well, you if, just you just can't. Like, when yeah. you're at a junior football game, you, the only person who can speak to the umpire is a team manager, and that's a rule. And that is a rule. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, that seems fairly clear. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody knows that rule, you would think it'd be yeah. Mr. P. And it's so uncomfortable when you are out there and there is a parent screaming their head off. Well, the off. reality is that you know these are often these umpires at junior footy, are, you know, fourteen-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds who are learning the craft. And um, yes, it can be frustrating, but it's there's um, frameworks around how you communicate because you need to protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And at the soccer, my daughter was always very keen to, you know, interested in umpiring. And the one thing that stopped her, she said, because the parents are scary. Mm-hmm. And I, that's terrible. If that's, you know, that's outrageous. Yeah, it is outrageous. Another safety issue that we saw this week was the LED um, the fence. signage. The yes. Fence, so, um, you know, we've talked about the new stadium in Perth. Um, there was two incidents where two players from Geelong um, – both put their hands out to stop them, their heads going into that new LED fence and ended up with stitches. So um, Blixarves actually ended up with 14 stitches. Wow. That's um, significant. And Tui, yeah. I think, had about five or had a few as well. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because those LED fences are not going away. That's a, a new way that stadiums are actually making a lot of revenue. Um, there's been questions raised about how safe they are and they're the same type of LED that's used at other stadiums. I heard a little bit of talk saying that often when they're first installed, they're a little bit sharper or something. I don't know that it softens over time. I don't know how you test it. What, from their heads maybe? Well, I don't know, but it raises an issue because I don't know how you actually look into it and test it without like somebody running into it. Or And I I don't know how they're going to ensure the safety, like that there's going to be a game there on Saturday night. Um, and hopefully we don't see anything like that happen again. And given the the deliberate rule being so tightly, you know, there's more sort of urgency to get mm. that ball if you want to avoid giving away free. Oh, absolutely. So I, I heard guess, that they, sorry to interrupt, mm. but I heard that they basically give um, a safety rating or they give, sign off on the safety of it as it's installed, but they don't then go and do subsequent checks of it that that's not yeah. then it's not tested before every game and it's not checked before every game and hopefully they'll look into it because if people are running into it which is not what it's made for no. I would assume you know you don't know you can't um, all eventualities can't be 
Um, uh, absolutely. But I think the fact that two players both were injured is, it seems very unlikely to have just been mm. um, bad luck. Yeah, I don't and know. I don't think it matters if it's bad luck or not. Oh, no, like it no. means that they've got to be looking at it right mm. now, as you say, Lucy, yeah. to ensure mm. that nothing happens this weekend. Yeah, I'd be furious if I was Chris Scott. Mm. Can I raise something else to do with LED lighting? Mm. Because I've been to a few games at the MCG and I know this is happening at other stadiums as well, but something's really caught my eye because it's actually flown straight into it at great velocity is the advertising of the AFL's wagering partner, um, an online betting company, which now really dominates the lighting, the LED advertising um, at some of these stadiums. And it's just got me thinking, you know, I've got a little bit of a be in my bonnet. Um, this, you know, the, this company is an official um, sponsor of the AFL. It's just becoming harder and harder to engage in football, um, particularly without having this in your face. So when you go onto the AFL website and you look up the fixture, you will see the logo for this company is right there and along with the odds for the game. So couple that with going to the game and having this in your face the whole time. Um, it's just... Offensive? Offensive, mm. yeah, it mm. really is. And it's really interesting because, you know, we're seeing that there's been reforms to gambling advertising on television. So um, I guess an acknowledgement that we don't want children seeing those kinds of ads. So um, there's a big period of the day where they can't advertise. And we keep talking about how there are clubs who rely on pokey revenue and, you know, that there are, you know, members of the AFL exec who like, or, you know, um, commissioner commission who would like to to see clubs um, not be so reliant on that kind of revenue. But the big elephant in the room, I think, is the link between online betting and, and sport. There's actually some research that shows that young people aged 14 to 24 um, have a strong implicit association between gambling and sport. And where that concerns me is that you know, if you're under 18, it's hard to go into a casino or it's hard to go into a pokey venue. But to engage in online betting via mobile devices, all you need is a credit card. And I just think that it's just becoming insidious. And I really object to having that advertising flashed in my face in the face of my kids when I'm at a game. And it's, it's frustrating because the clubs are working, you know, as you mentioned, or maybe you didn't mention, but Melbourne's moving away from pokies. Yeah. Clubs are actively trying to move away from pokies, which is one form of gambling. Yeah. But how frustrating and kind of impractical if the AFL is so out and proud in connecting yeah. with, you know, partnerships with online betting. Yeah. And I'd like to just do a big shout out to the clubs who have have um, signed up to, I know there's, I think there's about seven plus clubs in Victoria that have signed up to the um, Responsible Gambling um, Foundation, which basically is pledging to say that we aren't, we don't want to um, be sponsored by an online betting company. And I know, you know, that we are often quite harsh on some of those Victorian clubs for their reliance on pokey revenue. I think what we're hearing is that most of those clubs now are, you know, really trying to put things in place so that they can get away from it. And I think they should be applauded for um, not, you know, going down the path of having that kind of sponsorship. When I'm at the game and I see the um, team's banners go up and they say on them in the cutout letters, gamble responsibly, and then I see those LED flick up and it's got that ad... All I think is David meet Goliath. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Seems quite ridiculous, doesn't it? There's been so much criticism, of course, of the AFLW over the last two seasons that it's um, 
that it's been with us on the landscape. And a, a recurring theme is that huge sums of money, this is the sort of stuff I see on social media all the time, claims that huge sums of money are being poured into women's footy um, and that the code is losing big swathes of money as a result and that the men's game, so-called, is propping up the women's as if they're sort of, you know, completely demarcated. And 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 I've been um, trying to see if there is data available, if there are any statistics that help us get to the bottom of how much actually the AFLW costs and and if there's any sense of which what it returns to the game or what it returns to the community. And this is just purely in economic terms because we know on this show that the impact of AFLW extends far beyond, you know, simple, um, simplistic economic uh, calculations uh, in terms of well-being for the community and um, empowerment of women and LGBTQI communities and the like. Um so the AFL annual report for 2017 has just recently been released. There's a lot of statistics here. <laughs> so just bear with me, but I just want to run through some of them with you because it's really interesting. So for this season, there were just under 200,000 people that attended the AFL women's games in total. And that's almost um, just under 7,000 people on average attending every AFLW game. So I reckon that's a pretty um, mm. solid stat. One of the really interesting statistics I saw is that um, about five, just over 5.6 million people in total watched AFLW this season on television. So that's a huge wow. television audience. Now, you know, people might say, well, you know, think about what it is like compared to the men's game. It doesn't sound that much. I'm not interested in what it's like compared to the men's game, but it's kind of like almost two viewings of screenings of the AFL Grand Final, which is probably the biggest event on Australian television per, per year. So you know how much advertising an event like that generates. So more than 5.6 million people watched it on television and don't forget that the AFL gave the rights away. So if you think about how much value there there would be in that if the AFL does sell the rights at some stage, there is clearly an enormous value. Um, some other stats, though, that I saw overall, we've talked about some of these in the past, but these are the most recent stats now. Overall, domestic participation in football across the country, this is overall, is up by just over 10% from 2016 to 2017 up by 10% and a very large proportion of those are girls and women who are now playing Auskick, um or local footy and who of course are putting money into the AFL system because they're paying Auskick fees or other dues in order to play. There are more than 500 new clubs nationally in the last year that's um, uh, in women's footy and over the last three years women's participation in club football has tripled. So anyone who says, oh, you know, money's pouring into the AFLW competition and nothing is coming back out of it is plainly wrong because there's all of this grassroots activity. Um, so what the AFL report, annual report tells us is that expenditure, its expenditure increased last year by $5.3 million due to the women's competition. And that's the closest I've been able to come to seeing an explicit dollar figure put on the total cost of the AFLW competition. So just a bit over $5 million. Um, and so to the naysayers who would say, oh, you know, well, we're pouring money <laughs> down the drain in that, co in that competition, let me remind you that the AFL um, propped up Gold Coast to the tune of $25 million. Just for one um, season. Just for one season. 
Um, but also too, I you know among the many many statistics in the AFL annual report, the AFL gave nearly fifteen million dollars to help construction and development of community facilities at grassroots levels around the country. I have absolutely no problem with that. I think it's great, but. You know, triple the amount of money is, has gone into grassroots, just grassroots construction of, and development of facilities to the AFL women's competition as a whole. Um, also, too, there were eight corporate partners supporting the competition and you cannot find anything in the AFL annual report that tells you just how much money they paid the AFL to have their sponsorship names attached to the competition. Um, I would love to know that, mm. but... I, I dare say that there's going to be a bit of money in that, especially with multi-million, um, you know, millions of people watching the game on television each week and those sponsors' names being very prominent. Um, so a couple of final stats. Overall, the AFL's net profit for last year was nearly $50 million. So that's the profit that the AFL made. And the code itself generates more than six and a half or almost, sorry, almost six and a half billion dollars for the Australian economy each year. That's in terms of jobs and the like. It generates nearly 8,000 full-time equivalent jobs. And that does not include all of the players and all of the umpires. Um, Many of those jobs will have been people in AFLW. You know, we went to the footy. You think about all of the people who are serving food or cooking food or Cleaning, the same lady that greens. sold the record. <laughs> That's <game>. right. <laughs> People selling the footy rep- records, greenskeepers, um, gate physios, yeah. gate attendants. The list goes on. So, th- the AFL does generate an enormous amount of value, just in purely economic terms, for the Australian economy and jobs. And the AFLW has contributed to shaping all of that in a very big way. So I just want to say to all of those people who would say that there's an an enormous amount of money going into AFLW, it's actually $5 million, and there are all of these actually very tangible benefits that come back to the community, that come back to the code, and as well um, all of those broader effects that we know about that generate goodwill and health and wellbeing in the community, that if... You know, a company like PricewaterhouseCoopers was to sit down and crunch the numbers, I'm sure, is worth tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars um, that it brings back. So go AFLW. Yeah, and I just you just think about that 5.6 million people watching. Imagine how many more if more of the games had been on free to air because a large yes. number of them were not. Yes. And can you imagine what those numbers and then you actually sell those rights? Uh, that's, that's a really yeah. big revenue line waiting to happen. Great point, Nick. Okay, so let's talk about Melissa Etheridge. It was the most extraordinary week. Um, it was a whole week because there, it started with the text mess- with the tweeting, and then it just snowballed. And it was we were actually talking to her throughout the week, which was insane. And um, a huge and massive thank you to Leanne, who um, is a music publicist in Melbourne, who listens to the Outer Sanctum, is a huge AFLW fan, and she kind of hooked it all up um, in the background and. She and I have probably had 400 calls between each other over the last week and we had never met each other. So uh, the, oh, the, thing, the thing that struck me was just how fortuitous this was at a moment when I believe that AFLW and women's football needed to believe in the sisterhood and needed to um, really um, 
exercise the strength of the sisterhood and I felt like just by chance we were given this opportunity to have what felt like the biggest and best breakup party you could ever (laughs) have had. But what did you guys think, Lucy? Do you know, my highlight is a big one and it's it really just struck me that how the power of sport to fast track a conversation or a relationship or a friendship. And so through a shared love of sport, we were able to actually have a conversation with somebody who is just famous rock star about really, you know, the sorts of things that we would talk about every day. And the second part of that is, I guess, why we do what we do, because it just made me realize how important it is that we make sure that sport is as inclusive as possible. So anybody who wants to be part of the crowd has access and is is able to have you know the, reap the benefits. Absolutely, I, I want to give a big shout out to Shelley Ware, who you know while you were tweeting um, M with Leanne uh, organising the the meet and greet, she was talking to the Carlton Football Club about our little excursion to the game with Melissa. So, um, and she did some amazing work there. There was all kinds of tempting tweets happening, but just also for us, you know, she she's from Mangrook, from you know one of the absolute barrier breakers in in football one of the first the trailblazers so to experience that whole um incredible night with her it was absolutely my highlight yeah what was amazing for me too was that experience which i've had a couple of times before where you take somebody into the mcg for the first time it doesn't really matter who it is um just being in the mcg with with anyone who looks around that enormous coliseum and says wow you know and oh, and holy so, shit <laughs> that's right <laughs> that was the censored version um but melissa etheridge and her wife were both with us and you could see this that absolute awe that they had it was a crowd of nearly seventy thousand, mm. so it was pretty amazing um we managed to get there for the first bounce and just being able to kind of see the the game and the stadium through fresh eyes in a way it just reminds me of how incredible it is and i'm just going to say that my other highlight if I can is that it was my 40th birthday as a pretty good way to spend a night (laughs) you still didn't uh party as hard as Ange Pippos that's true um (laughs) no one did and for me it goes back to what Lucy says is just that bridging and making instant friends and uh it was great that Melissa's wife uh Linda was talking okay so you take thus Becky (laughs) no no not exactly and just that the lingo and and just to see out of the periphery of your eye the the black and white and the blue and white when you're you back for Hawthorne you used to seeing you know the the brown and gold in the in the edges it's not often that we get sort of in the middle of someone else's cheer squad <laughs> who you don't barrack for we were very polite we were going for Carlton at that moment sure I had my fingers crossed <laughs> um but it was just an interesting thing and I we just a big shout out to you Emma who not only but organizing behind the scenes and all that that goes with it you were like a football mum you were like all right everybody <laughs> okay amazing. if you both for the you go the Bulldogs that side if you do this <laughs> hey no no, you. <laughs> Silly McIntosh, get back in line. <laughs> it did require some management. Yeah, that is for very sure. Impressive. Nicole um, Hayes, get off her. <laughs> I did love, so Patrick Hill was there from Hawthorne. Um, he's the coach of the VFLW side and he was one of the only men who was in the group that came with us. And I really <laughs> felt funny. like he almost pulled out a notepad and was like, this is a, sh- this is a lesson in women 101. Like <laughs> yeah. he kept turning around telling us to stop talking. 
because we were just on such a high. It was fantastic. Yeah. So I did have a wonderful opportunity to speak to Melissa Etheridge on behalf of all of us um, in a little interview, but this was before we had met her and this is also before we'd gone to the game with her. Um, so I feel like I kind of have my polite pants on. Like if I was to do it now, I'd be like, hey, Mel, how are you? you know? <laughs> I wouldn't really. I'd call her Etho. Hey, Etho. You know, she loved how much Australians shorten everything. So um, here's my very polite interview. With Melissa Etheridge. We'll get straight into it. I want to say welcome, Melissa Etheridge, to the Outer Sanctum. How is your tour going? Oh, it's been wonderful. Every time I come down here, I just, I'm just thrilled. I'm thrilled with the people. The weather's been great. It's gorgeous, and I've discovered a new sport, and I'm very happy. You sure have. And I've got to say, I know you've been to Australia a lot of times, but sport rarely intersects with the arts or music in this country the way that it has through you this week. Do you find that sport is a good way to read a culture and fast-track a knowledge of the culture? It, it really is. I, I, I grew up in the Midwest of America where our gridiron American football was a big part of my family and my life. And I, it's still, it, and when I meet other people who have that sort of love for a team, it's, it's something, it's, it's got history, it's family, it's, it's connection. And I've always loved that. So when I came down here and the minute I tweeted (laughs) and was connected with the worldwide, it's an international phenomenon, you know, uh, footy, community, I I felt so at home. I completely understood it. I have been, uh, I've been contacted by so many uh, clubs, by so many teams that I feel like I'm dating or something, but it's, um, they're, they're just delightful. And then the fans themselves, as they've been tweeting me and saying, oh, you've got to follow the Tigers or oh, you got to follow the Cats or the Bulldogs are the greatest and, you know, just the pride that everybody has in their team and wanting to share that with me. I just think it's delightful. It's also been a great way um, you've cut through so quickly because you're demonstrating a love for something that means so much to a lot of us. And I've seen the outpouring of love. I I saw you on AFL 360 um, and the guys were loving you on that (laughs) show last night. And, of course, I love watching that show because I'm a footy fan too. But um, And as much as Robbo loves you, I was sitting there thinking, Robbo can love um, Melissa Etheridge so much, but there's no way a man can possibly understand the power of being a girl or a woman in a car full of girlfriends screaming the lyrics to Like I Do (laughs) and the catharsis of that. You've been therapy to so many of us over the years. Do people tell you that? Oh, yes, they do. And I see it when when I start one of those songs in, and the audience jumps to his feet and they're singing at the top of their lungs and pumping their fists. And, you know, I see the, the groups of women that it, it brings back, you know, whatever memories they, that they have. It's, it's something that is shared. And I love being a part of, you know, that, that past for, for people. I love it. Yeah. It's funny because it feels like you made it okay um, for us, I was a teenager in 1988 when the song came out, and you made it okay for us to, for girls and women to be loud and powerful, and even to express anger in a time when I don't know, maybe even now it's still um, there's a bit of um, people look down on you a bit about it. And I've seen there's a real synergy with that and with women's sport because the AFLW competition is really young, and there's been a lot of knockers, and people say that women being powerful makes them uncomfortable. Do you still hear that? Well, I 
it, it might be around. I don't listen to it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it's it's a naive look and a very narrow look. And, and why would someone want to impose that on other people? You know, when, when the truth is, sure, there's some women that, that don't need to, but there's, you know, so many. And, and that's the diversity is there's women that can be powerful, that can uh, express that inner emotion or desire or uh, uh, physical prowess, you know, those those things are not, I, I don't think they belong to one gender, you know. I think that's a, that's a universal feeling that we can all reach for it to whatever degree we wish to. Yeah. Well, I think that too, and I see that in sport, but I hear it in your music as well. Your music has been, um, and your visibility and your activism has mattered to so many of the women who work and play and follow AFL, um, W and for whom you have really been, for a lot of them, you were the first person they could really identify with. When you met the Adelaide Crows girls, and I know that we're all going to meet you tonight and you're going to meet some more footy players. Did they, do they thank you for that? Or do people tell you that? You know, they, they were, they were, oh, I, I really enjoyed meeting the Crows. I really enjoyed meeting Darren Phillips. She's very, uh, she's very impressive in her, her, how smart she is, how thoughtful and how strong and, you know, together she is. And mm-hmm. we talked kids and cause I have twins too. And, you know, just, just met so many, uh, you know, Courtney and, and just all, all the, all the women that, could see that it was that there was a lot of gratitude there you could see what my music had meant to them mm-hmm. and they um you know they were very complimentary and it's just I love being a part of their growing up and a part of their thinking that they can do anything they want to that there's no limit on them the coach of the Adelaide Crows women's team they did win the premiership you're right they um she Bet Goddard she's going to meet you at the uh, before the Sydney show and she was saying to me that you gave her hope in a really dark time when it wasn't cool to be out and she oh. said that she, um you're the reason that she asked her parents for a 12 string guitar when she was 13 years old because she wanted to oh. play and be just like you and and it's funny because Erin Phillips and Bet Goddard are pretty cool cats you don't see much ruffle those crows feathers but in having you connect with them I saw a real glee in both of them that I've not seen before <laughs> so it's a young competition and it's needed strong and powerful voices to support it and you have done that so on behalf of the AFLW I really thank you for doing that um as you probably are aware, the Aussie Rules women's team has been, um, or the women's teams have been really active in the LGBTI community and there's been a series of Pride oh, Games yeah. and they're vocal about marriage equality. We've seen Colin Kaepernick, we've been following his story in the NFL. Do you think that sport's going the way of music to be, you know, a really active space for activism? I think that activism it belongs everywhere. I think that it's an individual choice. There are people who feel comfortable doing it. There are people who, who don't. And, and there, there's no, I don't think anyone should be an activist. I think one should follow their heart. So um, when, you, when you are in a position to be a role model, to, to show courage, to be yourself, you know, whatever that might be different than whatever norm might be considered out there, that that's, that's always a good thing. Courage is always a good thing and leads to, you know, becoming the change you want to see. So 
when I watched uh, the marriage equality vote here, it just it lifted us up in America so high to see such an overwhelming, beautiful thing happen here in Australia. And and you know if I can if I can influence and inspire anyone to stand up and and be themselves, that that's just that that can only be good for yourself, for your town, for your country, and for the world. I think you are right, and I, I don't think that you necessarily know just how much you have meant to so many of us here. I feel like we can't tell you enough, Aww. but a week ago you tweeted about how you loved you were loving AFL and, and the Outer Sanctum, and it was actually me on the end of the Twitter machine. I asked you if you'd like to come to a game and <laughs> tonight I think we're going to get our chance Melissa we're going to take you with um a broadcaster and a proud indigenous woman who's a dear friend of ours Shelley where we're going to walk you across to the MCG to see two fierce rivals Yay! Carlton and Collingwood have you you've got a lot of pressure on you to choose a team I know you've been seen in the Adelaide jumper and all the players are coming bearing <laughs> gifts tonight so you're going to need excess baggage to get home are you leading one way or the other with a team Oh gosh! I tell you, it is—it is not easy. I have, of course, I have the affinity for the crows because they were the first ones we met. And I'm, but then I'm looking at my bulldogs jersey over here, and <laughs> now I've got a a blues jersey with my name on it. So it's just getting a little. <laughs> I feel like it's you know speed dating or something. But I'm uh, I I love I love the attention, and and I'm not sure whether I should pick a team or. I don't know. I really, I, I don't know. There are just so many. Wonder- I, I love, I love the sport, and I love the community, and I just love swimming in it with all of you. It's, it's really been a pleasure down here doing this. Well, I cannot wait. You don't have to pick a team, but if you do wear the Bulldogs Pride jumper in front of this audience tonight, you know it's just going to set the world on fire for them. But um, when we get to the game, you know, um, we'll be there to help if you need any help with the rules or anything but one thing I would totally encourage is get really loud yell out ball as much as you want (laughs) that means holding the ball and what we're hoping for is a lot of speckies which is a spectacular mark when they get up on each other's shoulders and then you can scream and holler yes I do I figured the mark out yes I figured out what a mark was but a specking is a spectacular mark why don't you Australians like to finish words you, you shorten every single word you can. We do, and we've already started in our Outer Sanctum group. We've been calling you Mel. <laughs> we you love see, a nickname. Know, because, you know, Melissa, that's just way, it's way too long. Mel is fine. We're Only a, Australia, though. We're a laid-back, lazy people. We thank you so much for loving our game and for giving so much back, you know, and for engaging with us. And We cannot wait to meet you tonight. Oh, I look forward to it, and I hope this is the beginning of a long relationship. Thank you very much. Next time you come back, we've got to have a kick on the G. <laughs> I think that's. I think we definitely need to do that. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye. Did I fangirl just the right amount? I was beside myself, Tom. Beside myself. Uh, it was so great to speak to Melissa Etheridge, but of course we spoke to her. I spoke to her before 
we had seen the concert. So to get some um, kind of vibe and some atmosphere about what the actual occasion was like, I thought it would be really nice for us to speak to get some feedback from some other people that were at the event and we're lucky enough to be joined by Angela Pippos. So, and we were so thrilled that you could come along and meet Melissa Etheridge, but to sit in the audience with all those AFLW superstars and to see her, you know, espousing all of her positivity about the AFL um, game and AFLW, how did you feel on the night? What a night, what a wonderful night. You know, it took me back to when I was 18, I was starting university, I was going on Reclaim the Night marches, and I discovered feminism and, you know, the power imbalance that existed in society. And her music was very much the soundtrack of my life at that time. So to be sitting in the audience, belting out her music and knowing all the lyrics, it was fantastic. You know, I'm a poor singer, there's no doubt about it, (laughs) but I gave it a real crack on the night and uh, I've been singing ever since I got back, much to the horror of the boys I live with. Um, but it was it was a powerful night, wasn't it? You know, because it was about more than just the footy. It was tremendous. And it's Lucy here. How did you feel with the people that you went to the concert with? What was that feeling like? Because it was a pretty amazing group. It was so good, Lucy. Um, I think for me, it was such an incredible occasion because for most of my career, there wasn't a footy sisterhood and there wasn't a sisterhood because there were so few women talking about footy. If there was a woman at a newspaper or in a newsroom, she didn't have support around her. So we never really got the numbers to form a sisterhood. So what made this night so special was that I felt like I really belonged. And AFLW has done that over the past couple of years. It has created this sisterhood that we're all enjoying. And you're right, it's uplifting, it's empowering, it's fun, it's crazy. Now, the next morning I was singing, Somebody Bring Me Some Water and some Panadols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we thought that. <laughs> I had such a good night. And look, it was, it was just magical, wasn't it? And, and to meet her, you know, um, it was amazing. And, and I, as you know, I mean, you guys organised this. We all had a little opportunity to introduce ourselves and to say something important to her. And I'd worked out what I was going to say beforehand. <laughs> it was so important for me to get the words right and <laughs> to get them out in the right order. So I stood there and because I'm the same height, as Melissa Etheridge, our, it was eye-to-eye contact, right? <laughs> I was probably 10 centimetres from her at this point. And I said, Melissa, congratulations, you've chosen the right team. <laughs> so that is, um, my lovely gal friends, that is something that you'll never get to experience the way I got to experience it with. <laughs> we had a deep connection, an Adelaide Crows connection. It was awesome. And it's Alicia. Um, it, one of the most incredible things uh, Emma mentioned was the shout out at the concert. So maybe explain for listeners what uh, Melissa said on the night. Well, she shouted out to those in the crowd who were AFLW lovers, you know, to all of us in our section, and there was quite a few. <laughs> she um, made a special mention of us being there and for being, you know, crusaders for footy. And it just felt fantastic that she 
Of course she got it. She was always going to understand the power and significance of AFLW. She would know what it feels like to have doors slammed in her face. So she, um, she made um, a special mention to, to all of us who are believers. And um, we all roared and cheered and, you know, in my case, poured another drink. It was, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fantastic. Your energy was contagious on the night. There was so much joy just watching you enjoying yourself as well we have to say and we're so thrilled that we are officially uh, sisters in um, football and thank you so much it was awesome so congratulations in in getting it all together i mean it must have been logistically a little challenging so well done and i'm expecting more of the same we'll call you when beyonce gets to town <laughs> that's how that's all our parties roll exactly. <laughs> thanks and Thanks. In addition to Angela Pippos being the party starter at the, at the gig, we also um, invited Debbie Lee from the Bulldogs to come along and it felt like it mattered a lot to her because it was really her era of music. There's a lot of footballers that I contacted to say, do you want to come? And they're like, never heard of her because oh. they were born in like 1993 or something ridiculous. But we um, we also took Debbie Lee, so I thought it must have been a big moment when you saw Melissa Etheridge come out in a Bulldogs jumper. How are you, Deb? I'm well, thanks. And yourself? <laughs> yeah, good. Have you recovered from Friday? Oh, still on a high, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was amazing to, to be part of that. So thank you for, for organising such a great, um, great crew. When you woke up the next day, what was it that kept reoccurring? Like what were you playing through your mind? Because it was a pretty big moment. It was. It was a combination of a couple of things. I mean, I'm, I'm probably showing my age here, but Melissa Etheridge was you know, pretty big when I was growing up. So, um, you know, she represented a lot of things. Um, I think she was the first gay woman probably in the public eye in terms of the um, music industry to, to, to come out. So, um, yeah, it was just a combination of, of a number of things. And then to see, uh, to meet her first and foremost, and then to actually for her to, um, you know, wear the pride jumper in her encore, I thought was, you know, I sort of thought, geez, geez we've come a long way, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, it's Kate here. I was going to ask you about her wearing the pride jumper. I think you gave that to her perhaps and and what what do you think it means when a big name person like that comes out very proudly and embraces both women's footy and the LGBTQI community which of course crosses over to a large extent yeah look I think um you know if you, if you can obviously Melissa um you know her, her her love of the sport is there as well, but I also would suspect that you know she understands um, that what footy does and what it's done for the greater community. Um, so to to have her wear the jumper was just a, another another opportunity to go. Um, you know we're all inclusive in women's footy, um, and he's he's a he's a rock star who actually um, supports the cause as well. And as a result, wearing the pride jumper was just um, you know a real. Uh, acknowledgement of that and it was quite symbolic to actually um, see Melissa up there rocking her, her songs and, and having a footy jumper on. I mean we're, we're both from different parts of the world aren't we and uh, here she is, she lands in Melbourne and she's got a footy guernsey on. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, it's Alicia. You absolutely know your football. What position would Melissa play? <laughs> oh, I, I think Melissa would play a back pocket. Oh, Ooh. okay. Yeah. Good one. A small back pocket, um, uh, a lockdown um, tagger. But I would say, given her industry and she's a rock star, she, I reckon she would like to kick a goal here and there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one last one for you, Deb. Um, what did it 
like, is it unusual? Because we spend a lot of time with lots of different footballers, but we've never been in a situation like that where we were all socialising. There's people from all different teams and people that have all different roles around football. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot in the media that there's such a sisterhood. But did you think that was extraordinary? Like, is that normal? Yeah, look, that's what I loved. I mean, if I go back, that was how, you know, in the early days, how we operated, you know, in footy. Um, you know, we'd all play different teams, we'd all have different roles and we all supported each other. And, and that was a significant, and it reminded me actually of why we do what we do um, that night. And I just thought, how lucky have we got, how lucky are we that we have a great bunch of people with different skills, different backgrounds, but all have a passion for women's footy and who are also supportive of um, moving the game forward in whatever role they can play. So for me, um, it reminded me of my early days because that's what it was like. Um, and as we've grown bigger and, you know, things have changed, and I, and I think we've actually got to um, stop and think about that and actually um, acknowledge that because and, and do something with it as well. And, and I really think that's our point of difference in our sport is the, the willingness of um, people from different teams, um, different roles, different industries to come together and, and really respect each other but support each other in trying to move this game forward. So that for me when I walked away, I was, I was on a massive high. I, I couldn't get to sleep that night. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're on board that we should do something because I reckon we should all get tattoos. <laughs> You all in? Get tattoos. Yeah. I don't know if we'll go that far. Yeah. Well, I was thinking some drinks. I don't know rocking up to daycare with tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Friday night. Thanks for speaking to us today. But before we go, congratulations on the premiership, Deb. Yeah, thanks very much. And thanks for, um, you know, really reaching out. It was you guys who really drove the that the the opportunity for everyone and, and you really were the forefront of bringing these this group of um, people together so I really appreciate um, you doing that and thanks for the work you guys do you're great to um, have as a supporter of um, women's footy um Nicole you wrote an article um, um, kind of the anatomy of how this whole situation rolled out I did and and I'm not going to go we, we've talked about it quite a bit so you can have a have a look at the article in the Guardian but the the angle that I did take because it did frustrate me was you know seeing how much goodwill how much publicity was being generated by um, Melissa Etheridge and her count you know tens of thousands of fans hundred thousand plus uh, followers on Twitter just alone but also all the people who came to see her perform around Australia, it was a little bit frustrating and disappointing to see that the AFL and the AFLW um, online uh, presence, it, there was basically no support from the AFL. And I, I feel like given that she did high-profile media like AFL 360 and The Project and um, was in the Herald Sun, that it seemed odd that they didn't kind of get on board and, and take this free kick that they were given and turn it into something pretty amazing. So hopefully now they'll see it. But, um, you know, one opportunity for them to redress this would be to uh, take up our our campaign to have Melissa Etheridge as the grand final entertainment. Are you with she me on this, great. girls? Definitely. Yeah, I definitely. It's funny. I don't feel that way about the AFL not giving it okay. any love, and I think I think the reason is because I feel like if they had. If they had, if, if she'd been their guest, we wouldn't have probably had that opportunity, you mm. know. So and I also go like, well, who knows what's going on at AFL House. True. They've probably got a million other things going but on. not and, even a retweet? I don't know. Well, not, retweet, not yeah, one. maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe they just kind of a bit set and forget. Like they've, they've moved maybe. on to other things and I can't, I don't feel critical about 
that. They probably – sometimes I wonder if they're like, you know, the big old ships that are hard to move and, you know, whereas we're like a little motorboat, you know. <laughs> like when you think about, you know, the way that different things can kind of – you know, we can make decisions very, very quickly. We're second tier. We can just yeah, – so Alicia's lost it because you said motorboating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, Matt, no, I, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. And they've got their own. And often, you know, big corporations have their social media planned. Like yeah. they know exactly what's happening. They have things all set, ready to go. And Nicole rolls out. They've got to respond. It's social media. You've got to respond to the moment. That's I, what it's about. Sorry. Can I just say, by the way, that if, if anything, I think we're in a dinghy. A jet ski? <laughs> a little jet oh, ski. Oh, Do we have a, a motor? Jet a jet ski? On a raft. Let's a be honest, ladies. It's a paddle boat. <laughs> it's a lilo. <laughs> it's a paddle boat. It's a slow-sinking lilo. Sorry, Dad. Okay, final business before we wrap up this party. Um, what do we got? GWS. Alicia. Well, in afl.com.au this week, Matt Thompson wrote about the Greater Western Sydney dropping its location from its name. So instead of GWS on all of its uh, official stuff, it's Giants, even though... It uh, hasn't officially changed its name or anything like that. A deep pole. Yeah, exactly. You know, famously North Melbourne went to the Kangaroos from 99 to 2007, but then they came back and um, Footscray has remained the Western Bulldogs. But as far as uh, their marketing and media messaging, they are the Giants and preferably in capital letters. The mm. women, the women. I noticed that during the AFLW that the women, it was always the Giants. Right. There's a bit of name changing that's gone on in this studio, and I'm not even looking at Alicia sometimes, Lucille Race. <laughs> Lucille 2. Hi. Lucille 2. You're, you were Lucille. I was. Yeah. Yep. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll always be Lucille to me. <laughs> do you know if you, if you put into Google Alicia sometimes, it says, is that her real name? Yes. Do I you do. know that? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm known for. Nothing else. None of my accomplishments. No. Just is, <laughs> is that her real is name? Her real and then name. underneath it says, is she single? No, <laughs> it, it absolutely doesn't. <laughs> I'm going to Google that a couple of times today just yes, to up it. thank you. Another name change. Yeah, so last week we just chatted briefly on the pod about the fact that Jeff Kennett had been keen to change the name of the suburb Dingley to Rioli because he, he thought that sounded better and we asked our um, listeners to tweet in suggestions as well. And I just, we, we received many and they were great, but I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple that I thought were lovely. May on Twitter said to us that she would like to see Forest Hill renamed to Flower Hill in nice. honour of Robbie Flower, oh, who that. had a shop in the shopping centre back in the day. I thought that shop. was we gorgeous. We used to go in yeah. just to spot him. <laughs> Same. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. And, of course, um, finally, I want to just thank Scott on Twitter who said, of course, that Collingwood should be renamed Dacos. Uh, How did we not no think brainer. of that? That is such a great Absolute no-brainer. Yeah, no so brainer. thank you to everyone who sent in suggestions. And thanks to Nick on Instagram and Facebook as well who wrote us a couple of verses of like a f- mashup between Frozen and <laughs> That's right. footy and oh. footy analogies um, in response to me making footy jumpers for my kids' toys. Hilarious. Hilarious, Nick. They are also great. You should check out Emma's Instagram. It's fantastic. It's on Outer Sanctum, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Adorable. <laughs> Can I do one last shout out? That if you are a Hawthorne supporter and you'd like to be part of the Hawthorne Pride group, that it's having its launch on Sunday. And if you um, hop on Facebook, you'll see all the details. And um, I'm sure you would be most welcome. Of course. It's inclusive. It is. Everyone's welcome. Thanks for joining us this week and we'll see you back here next week with Felicity and her tan. (laughs) Go Go footy. footy!
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.